Hey, one more thing before you go. In this episode, Life-Changing Journey, Death-Defying Incidents, Spiritual Awakenings, and Lessons for a Better World, we have a conversation with a man whose book was inspired by a guardian angel to help motivate others to find the good in our lives and be grateful. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. This is That Thing About 12 Hours of Heaven. My guest in this episode is Rick Ornelas. He's known around the world as the ultimate success coach. He's a best-selling author and the founder of iSpark Change. He helps those looking for clarity and guidance eliminate the roadblocks preventing their personal and professional success so that they can infuse instant growth into their business and life while spreading positive change around the world. After a near-death-defying experience, family tragedies, and deaths, he finally got the wake-up call in the form of divine inspiration and awe-inspiring spiritual connection when he least expected it. He created a global movement to spread positive change throughout the world. Welcome to the show. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. My guest in this episode is Rick Ornelas, known around the world as the ultimate sex coach, best-selling author and a founder of I Spark Change. He helps those looking for clarity and guidance eliminate the roadblocks, preventing their personal, professional success, as well as they, how they can infuse instant growth into their business and life while spreading positive changes around the world. Everybody needs more positivity, and we're going to have a great conversation about how to become more positive. After a near-death experience, some family tragedies and deaths, the ever-worsening times of 2020, when he was laid off, he was isolated and desperate. He finally got the wake-up call he was waiting for in the form of a divine inspiration and awe-inspiring spiritual connection when he least expected it. He went from isolated and hopeless to writing a best-selling book, 12 Hours of Heaven, Lessons for a Better World, in under three months. While envisioning and creating an incredible future, and in this episode, we're going to share his incredible inspirational story of a near-death experience leading to spiritual awakening and creating a global movement to spread change. Welcome to the show, Rick. Yes, thank you very much for having me on, Michael. It's a pleasure to be on your show. You know, I'm, I'm really, as I said earlier before we started, I'm really excited about listening in hearing about your journey. I think it's an amazing journey where you were and where you came from and what you do for the world because we all, all need and seek out positivity. So yes, you. absolutely. I agree 100%. I think there's uh, the world needs more of it and so it, it's up to people like you and I to, <laughs> to increase the level of positivity for everybody. I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, sometimes people forget to take a look and take a breath and kind of look around them to, to be grateful for what they have to, to kind of start that. But we'll get into that a little bit. That. Before, before we do, I really would like to know a little bit more about you. So can we start with uh, some things like, uh, where'd you grow up? 
Well, I grew up, Michael, in, in Southern California, in uh, Los Angeles area, in Burbank to be exact. Now, Burbank is known for, you know, like the Tonight Show and the studios and all of that. And, and that's exactly where I grew up. I mean, my my high school was like right across the street from Walt Disney Studios. And, and it was a, you know, it's a cool little town. It's grown a ton uh, since then. But, but I grew up the youngest of five and I had four older sisters and um, a, a very a faith-filled family, very um, uh, disciplinarian. My parents were disciplinarians also. Uh, education was an important part of, uh, of our upbringing. And, and just family in general, that, that was so important in, in all of our upbringing and everything that we were about. And that's, that's what I was taught. And, you know, I lived there for the first, um, the first 20, 21 years of my life, uh, going, as I said, through school and then, then moved on to, um, to USC and in Los Angeles, uh, to study, uh, marketing and communications and, and really started, you know, started on, on my, my journey there um, after I grew up was, uh, was really when I, when I met um, the one who, who would become my wife, um, just, just up the, uh, up the freeway a bit in, uh, in the Santa Barbara area. And uh, my wife, Tanya, who's now, we've now been married 26 years. And, um, and we, we started to have, you know, have a family, raise a family. And we, we now have three, three beautiful daughters who are all grown now, actually, gosh, it's crazy to think about, but my, my, my youngest, uh, later this month will turn 19 and my middle one turned 22 and, um, my oldest is 25. So yeah, they're, they're all grown, but, um, you know, that's where it all started. It started with us, you know, back then in, in Southern California, we now live in, in Texas, uh, outside of Houston, but, um, it started there and just kind of figuring it out as a, as you do in the early days of a parent of figuring out, you know, all right, what am I going to do now? Kind of thing, you know, what, a, what I'm going to do as a, when you're just a, a young, a young parent and you're starting on that journey of, of parenthood and, and everything. Yeah. I've been there. Yes. I can relate to that. I can empathize with you. Not just understand, but I empathize. I, we raised two daughters and mine are just a tad bit older than yours, which, which we're telling the world really how old we are, but that's a blessing, and yes. you know, because <laughs> uh, obviously I'd rather you be getting older than the alternative, that, you know, yeah. than, than that. So, um, the Southern California area—that's a great place. We, in fact, we just got back from there. We spent a week uh, in uh, the L.A. Well, not L.A. Actually, we spent a week in the Santa Ana and the Anaheim area. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah close to Disneyland and all that. Spent two days in Disneyland. Amazing, amazing. Even as an adult, still amazing. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure. I mean, it's been a few years since we've been back. We, we, we've been back a couple years ago, but since we've been at Disneyland, it's been probably four, four or five years. But, yeah, every time you go, it's just, it's always amazing. Oh, it's crazy, crazy cool, crazy yeah. cool. So you, um, as, <clears throat> excuse me, what brought you to Texas? It was, it was funny because back in... Towards like 2007, 2008, my wife and I were thinking, you know, that's when like kind of the housing bubble was going crazy and the, and the, the gas went up to like $7 a gallon in California. I think it's back there now, but, but this was, you Pretty know, close. This was back then a while ago. It, 
it was gas had gotten really expensive and we were thinking, you know, we should really get out of California. We should go somewhere else. And, and you know, kids are still young and we we're like, yeah, well, let's, let's find a better place to, to live. And, and I actually wanted to go to the Pacific Northwest. I wanted to go to like Oregon or Washington state. And, and my wife didn't want to go anywhere where it snowed. And she's like, nope, not going there, not going there. Now she loves it when we've gone to visit there. We've gone to visit, you know, like Colorado and, and Utah and everything. She loves it, but she didn't want to go anywhere back then. So we kind of compromised on Texas because she wants somewhere it would be sunny. And I actually moved with, uh, at the time I was working in the corporate world and, and I moved with a startup company, a, a friend of mine I had worked with, he had joined this startup company. It was a healthcare company, which is the space I had been in. And he, he was, um, they needed someone to kind of run this area over Houston. And so he said, yeah, do you want to, we'll, you want to move over and you know, you've, you've got a job and everything. And so we did. And 18 months later, the company went belly up oh, <laughs> and cool. we found, I found myself on the, it was the third of July that year, which would have been, uh, what was it? Uh, 2000 and, um, 2011, the third of July or 2010, the 3rd of July, we get a call, all company-wide call, and they say, yeah, um, your last day is uh, tomorrow. And then wow. you guys are all laid off as of the 5th. Wow. And no severance, no anything. And I was scared. I was freaking out because here we were living, you know, we had moved away. We had no support system here, no family, no nothing. And then I hear I was going to be um, out of work. But it's one of those times where those you know, things happen and come across your path. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about others, Michael, but the, these things come across your path and you can kind of choose what to do with them. Mm -hmm. And at first I, like I said, I was, I was scared. We actually had the, that day I got the news, we had a foreign exchange student coming to live with us for, for a month. And so extra, extra pressure for me. On top of and, that, yeah. Yeah. And, but it, it turned out being the best summer I spent with my kids because I, I spent two, two months, you know, sure, looking for work, but also spending a lot of time with my kids. And we're going out on the lake where we live and the, the French exchange student. And we had a great time. And then exactly two months to the day, I started a new position and um, in September, beginning of September. And so it was, you know, it was a lot of unnecessary stress and it was, a, it was just a great time. And an opportunity to reconnect with your kids in such a way that made valuable memories and time. Exactly, exactly. And it's one of those things that, in the time, you don't you don't realize that you don't you don't exactly see all that. I mean, maybe a little bit because you're enjoying yourself, you're making memories, and you're having fun in the in the moment with what you're doing. But you don't you don't realize, or at least I didn't realize. The level of how special that was, how special that summer would turn out to be, and and probably you know one of the most memorable memorable summers I had with my children because I was able to spend it with them the whole time, and you know it's one of those gifts that you get yeah. that you can look back and say that was truly a gift. You know, it was a blessing. Like that blessing I, in disguise. Yeah, definitely yeah. a blessing in disguise. But sometimes, sometimes we have to look around and make sure that or realize that what's given to us what seems like an, a major issue turns out to be a blessing in disguise. 
I kind of went yeah. through the same thing with that. As a police officer and a sergeant in charge of people, I was working constantly. And then I got injured, and everything came to an abrupt halt, and I was angry and mad and denial and just everything that you can think of during that time period. But then I stopped and realized that the time with my family that I was missing uh, was given back to me, and mm-hmm. it became more valuable to me. So I'm glad you got to do that. That's yeah, thank you. Thank you, Michael, because it's, and, and I don't know if it's, you know, it depends on what you believe or whoever's listening believes, but I don't know if it's God saying, hey, you need a wake up call or, you know, it's time to, to here's a little reset for you to get your yeah. life back on track. But, um, you know, for whatever reason, those things happen, you know, if we can take them as that blessing, as that gift, then, you know, it becomes a beautiful thing. Well, exactly. And I think sometimes we need a reminder for that. You know, just uh, I think our kids are a gift from God, so our, our children in themselves are a gift from God. And mm-hmm. we as fathers, especially as fathers, sometimes we get to working, and this is not discounting mothers, um, but we as fathers, we're always indoctrinated as we grow up uh, to say that, you know, you t- you're the provider, you do this, you do this, you do this. And, um, you know, we don't always stop and take the time to realize that we need a nice work-life balance and appreciate what we have with us in a family. Yeah, I, I, I know that, you know, probably more so than a lot of people because my father, that's exactly how he was. And he worked, he worked two jobs to, um, to support our family. He mm-hmm. was, so he was an, an accountant by day. But at night, he took a job um, working as a as a sanitation worker at a hospital, to uh, so he could afford to put us into private school. We went to you know private parochial school, and and in order to afford that, he had to take a second job. So he took a second job. He actually got an ulcer from the stress of wow. having two like a major you know cut open his belly surgery wow. ulcer at that time. Um, when you know when I was a kid. But, um, but that's how important it was to him, you know, kind of that mentality, like you mm-hmm. said, of, hey, you do what you can, you support your family, it doesn't matter, you do what it takes. And, and so I, um, I mean, when I was a, a child, it, it, much of the time he was spent working. I mean, my mom was there, she was supportive, mm-hmm. she would go to sporting events and everything. But, um, you know, that's one thing I, I, I remember always, it was so important to me when my, when my daughters were in sports, was that I would go to all their sporting events because my father never went to one. He was never mm-hmm. able to go to a single one. And my, my mom went to as many as she could. She worked as well, but she went to as many as she could. But I always told myself that I'm going to go to every single one. And I pretty much, you know, fulfilled that, that promise that, that I, you know, very, very few that, that I missed of my daughters, you know, when they're in sports, um, because it was so important, mm-hmm. you know, just having that, that memory of you know him not being able to be there, I I and that's again one hundred percent valuable. We need to take a breath. Whether you're a mother or a father, you need to take a breath for a minute and kind of um, reevaluate your relationship with your kids and and you know find out what's more important. You know, I I kind of I can write I, I relate with you in regard to that because my father worked so much before he died. He died when I was 17 years old, so we lost him very early. 
and oh, a lot of the time, um, you know, I, I, I value the time we did have together after looking back at it, because he tried, same thing, you know, of that era that you just work and you do and you work and you do, and yes, you have kids, but that's just the way life is. You're, you know, you, mm-hmm. somebody works, works and works and works, and if you want this and you want that, then it comes from so much working. So the little bit of time that I had with my dad, I, I, I look back and value what I had. I made the same promise you did with my kids. I want to make sure that you know everything that I did, I tried to be a 10. Even when I was on the job, I'd, I'd kind of patrol the area in such a way that I could sneak in and watch him in school. And, you know, <laughs> which wasn't That's always crazy. best on their part because they're going, there's a cop in the back of the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, uh, what's, that, what's that squad car doing over there? <laughs> you're to see my daughter. Which one's your daughter? And daughter's going, don't, don't point me out. Don't point me out. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I know that in your uh, some of your bio information that you sent me, you said you, you've had a near-death experience. Can we talk about that? How sure. Um, because, and it, it's, I think it's important for, for people to hear this part of my story because they can relate. And, and this is something that, you know, they may, may have had challenges, similar challenges in their life. And it, it goes back to, um, to 21 years ago when we were still living in Southern California. And as I said, we're, we're young parents. Um, at the time we had two daughters, my two older daughters were one and four, so they were very small. And we were coming back from a, um, we were living about two and a half hours north of Los Angeles. And we were, we had driven down to Los Angeles to go to a children's birthday party. And we were coming back from this party and it was uh, late on a Sunday afternoon, evening kind of time. It was in January and it was starting to get late, you know, starting to, it was uh, very cloudy. And so it was, it was getting dark early and all of a sudden it started to rain really, really hard. Um, not very common in, in California, but it was raining so hard that you, you couldn't really see through the windshield. And so a lot of cars had pulled off the road. But, but we chose to continue on because we didn't want it to drive in the dark. We thought we were still far from home, like I said, and we didn't want to drive in the dark. We thought that was going to be worse. And probably there was some arrogance on my part, you know, being a, being a young guy and, and kind of thinking I was invincible at the time in many ways. But, um, but we continue on in uh, driving in the slow lane, in the, the number one lane. And my, my girls are in their car seats in the back sleeping and my wife and I, you know, she's telling me to be cautious and, and I'm not dri- driving super fast, but I'm probably going, you know, 45 maybe or on the freeway or, or 50 in this rain. And all of a sudden I hit a large puddle and we start uh, spinning out of control. Uh, the vehicle just starts spinning out of control, out of control. And we spin across four lanes to the left and we're about to hit the center divider and I'm screaming and my wife is screaming and I'm trying to think of what I'm supposed to do in this situation, a brake or steer or what to do. And miraculously, we don't hit the center divider and we spin across the opposite direction. And then we spin across four lanes going the other way. And we don't hit any cars or anything, but we, we go off the shoulder, we go up a dirt embankment and we hit a brick wall and we flip over completely and land back on the wheels. And the windshield is smashed down to about, or the window or the roof is smashed down to about 
face level and the glass is shattered and, and the right side is all smashed and the glass is all shattered and the car is filled with glass and there's dirt everywhere in the car and our stuff is, is all over the place. And I, I quickly check my daughters and they're crying because they had woken up, but, but they're okay. And my wife is okay. She says her shoulder's a little sore from banging into the wall, but, um, or the car banging into the wall, but, but none of us are cut or anything from the glass that's everywhere. And we, we managed to crawl out of my door and get the kids out. And, and, uh, my wife sits down on the ground she's holding them as tight as she can. And she's just sobbing and crying. And, and this, um, older couple had pulled over. They had actually witnessed the whole thing and they pull over and the lady grabs a big blanket and she wraps it around my wife. And as I said, my wife is just thanking God and crying and, and, you know, just happy that my kids are unharmed. And, uh, I'm talking to the gentleman and he tells me that what he had just witnessed was the most incredible thing he had ever seen. He had seen the whole accident and that he couldn't believe that we were alive. And he had called 911 and he told me that he didn't think we were going to get out of the car um, and, and thought we had been killed. And, and me being the, the cocky young guy that I was, I thought, well, well, was this really that big of a deal? And we were taken off in an ambulance and the, the ER doc, they checked out my girls and they said, they're fine and you guys are fine and don't worry about it. And so then that again, that was like, oh, well, really, was it really that big of a deal? But the car looked terrible and the car was towed off. And the next day I went down, my father-in-law took me down to the impound yard. Um, cause as I said, we were still a few hours from home and he took me down to get our things out of the car. And as I went into the office, um, the car was sitting out on a flatbed tow truck right outside the office. And I went into the office and I asked the attendant, I said, I'm here to get my things out of that black Grand Prix outside. And he looks me square in the eye and he said, that's not your car. And I said, yeah, that's my, that's my car, the, the, the Black Grand Prix. And he says, no way, whoever was driving that car is dead. Um, and I was like, excuse me? And he goes, no, I can always tell what happened to the driver by the, by the car. And that car, the looks of that car, like that person's dead or maybe in the hospital. And I convince him it's my car and, and you know, much to his surprise. And, you know, I go on my way, but just, you know, hearing it from others, what they had witnessed and, you know, him with the, being someone that sees, you know, smashed up cars every day, um, it really changed my perspective on the whole thing. And, and it really made me think, okay, something special happened here because we, you know, according to these folks, we should have been killed and we didn't have a scratch on us. And I continued to reflect on it for, for you know, a period of months and, and people kept telling me, oh, you know, your guardian angel protected you. And my mom gave me a little angel pin saying your guardian angel had protected you and, you know, put this in your car. And, and, and this was a really big deal. And I really started to think, you know, that, that maybe they were right, that, that, um, that something special had happened and that it was, you know, it wasn't just luck or, um, but, but we were really, you know, our lives were spared for a reason. Well, I, I can attest to you as a traffic investigator. That was my primary job for four years before I left the department. That's all I did was specifically investigate traffic accidents, primarily. I mean, I investigated other things, but 
Uh, from your description of that and the way you described it to me, I'm not seeing the vehicle, but in the description of what your vehicle did and where it ended up, I, I would tend to agree with the tow truck driver. And these individuals, that's what they do for a living. You know, and they've seen enough of them, like you said, to where they can say, hey, yeah, this person survived or this person, you know, most likely didn't survive within that because you can tell in a vehicle. You look at a car and you go, wow, there's no way somebody could have yeah. come out of that the way they did. And to come out the way you all did, this actually is kind of a miracle. So, again, not not seeing it myself, I'm just going on your description, but I would say from my professional opinion in that description, yeah, I would agree. Wow. Well, I've never spoken to anyone in your, you know, with your expertise, um, Michael, but, um, you know, I was just kind of reflecting after what they had told me, but, you know, thank you for sharing that um, because it, it, you know, it's just one other sign that, you know, I, I think it was just a, a special, you know, situation for us to, to come out completely unharmed um, in that situation. And, and, and it, it, that whole accident really changed me in a lot of ways because, you know, I, I had, I had embedded in me from my, my parents and my father, especially the importance of family. But I'd say that at that, at that age, I wasn't doing a great job of it. I was still young and I still was kind of selfish and I still would spend a lot of time on my own. I'd go off and play basketball for hours and come home late and, and, you know, I, I was still doing things with my friends and, and, and then it was after that where I really, um, changed and realized that you know, I needed to spend more time with my kids and they, they're more important than, you know, than these other things. Definitely a wake up call. Definitely. A wake -up. And we all at that age have that big S on our chest. <laughs> we, we can do everything, yes. anything. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. I'm sure you did too. I know it's just, and that's part of, you know, part of like our generation growing up, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of that that came from the generation we grew up in, but where, you know, people just kind of think they're invincible. And then, you know, you start having things like this happen and health issues and all this stuff and injuries and, you know, like you and, and I have had and, and that changes your, your perspective a little bit. Yeah. Reality has a way of waking us up just a little <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, some, sometimes not exactly the way we want it, but, you know, it, it helps a lot. Hi, this is your host, Michael Hurst. As we talked about in the past, we are going to be making some changes starting this Friday for the betterment of the show and to bring more opportunity for you. We're still going to bring you the best personal journeys in the conversations that we always have each and every Wednesday morning, but Fridays are changing to help your weekend look a little bit better. Starting this week, Over the Teacup Fridays are becoming a permanent segment of One More Thing Before You Go. These unique episodes will be shorter, more fun, historical, educational, and reflective about life. Sometimes it'll just be me. Sometimes it'll be Diane and I or an occasional special guest for a casual conversation about life. I value each and every one of you that has joined us on this journey and request that you continue to be part of this family as we evolve to bring you an additional opportunity to join the conversation. Back to the show. Um, so from that point, once you kind of, kind of, that was your wake-up call, right, to, to a kind of a more better perspective, more better? That, that's good English, isn't it? I'll blame it on the, <laughs> uh, I'll blame it on the dilation. <laughs> sure. <laughs> For a better 
uh, perspective on uh, life and how you could help to make others um, kind of make change at that time? Or uh, what was the next step or chapter in your journey? It, that's where it started, but it took a long time for me. I mean, I, I was, I was stubborn, you know, in, in many ways. And, and what I, what I did do at that time, Michael is in that time of reflection that lasted for a few months, I ended up writing what I called a to-do list for every day. And it was 12 mm-hmm. things that I wanted to kind of model my life after. And it was things like being present with others, being grateful, um, living like it's the last day of my life, treating as others with respect, treating others with kindness, uh, doing unto others. And, and this list was was something that I said, okay, this is how I'm going to live for um, the rest of my life. And and did I do a good job? I, I'd say I, I I did my best in in the, the different situations I was in. That you know it was it was. Um, a lot of, of, lot of trial and error, a lot of learning, a lot of getting past old habits and, and having, you know, different tragedies happen just a, a few years after that accident. Um, my, my sister passed away. Um, my sister Linda passed away and, and it was things like that happening that that started to be these reminders of, of how short life is and that it could be taken away in any moment. And so I, I, I started um, focusing more on on helping others and started doing some service like at the YMCA and and different organizations to at church and, and things to to help um, spread some change. But on a small level, on a on a small level, still by by my by my definition, on a small level. Um, and it wasn't until it wasn't until 2020 when the pandemic happened and or started and we all it's still kind of happening but when it started and we all went into quarantine and the world was you know essentially in in that crisis mode that i found my my business coaching business suffering i again was in a a state of anxiety and despair not knowing what the future held because in march april of 2020 I, i I all of a sudden had no revenue coming in, not knowing what I was going to do to take care of my family, kind of like the same situation with the, uh, with the being laid off, you know, all those years ago. And, and I, after getting anxious and fearful for a, a short time, a few weeks, I, I realized that I knew better and said, Hey, you you need to start you know, practicing some of the things that you talk about, the, the things that you coach people on. And, and I, I wrote about using, I wrote a blog about using the, um, the time as an opportunity to help others, to be grateful, to serve, to go do some, you know, some, some uh, work, a service of some type. And that's what I did. And in, in writing it, it um, reminded me of a, a story that had been in my head since right after the accident, reminded me of the story that would become my book. Um, and that it was time to write, to write, uh, that book, to write that, you know, it was that chapter in my life, if you will, had, had, um, come to, you know, to the right moment. And after the accident, when I was in one of my periods of reflection, I would, I would find myself sitting in my car cause I had a drive for work. I was in sales and I would find myself sitting in my car, just parked and sitting for, you know, 30 minutes or longer, just sitting there kind of 
daydreaming and reflecting and thinking and long stretches. And one day I'm staring at the little guardian angel pin that my mom had given me in my, in my car that was up on the visor. And all of a sudden this idea for this story hits me. Um, like I had just watched it. Like I, I had just seen a movie. Um, and I thought it was pretty special, but as I said, I, I was, you know, I was still kind of going about life and I, and I wrote about a page and I, and I, I, I actually started it by writing that, that to-do list. And then I wrote about a page cause I thought, Hey, this could be part of the story. And then I never did anything with it. And when 2020 came around, I realized that it was the time to write that story because people were suffering. People were in need of inspiration and, and that I felt that story could provide people some hope and could provide, uh, cause I knew I needed hope at that time. And I wanted to, you know, give myself hope and, and give others some hope. And that's when I started writing. And that's what became my book, uh, 12 hours of heaven was, um, was that story that had, had come to me after the accident 20 years ago that I didn't write forever <laughs> for 20, 21 years, 20 years. And I think I didn't write it all that time, Michael, because I think I had to go through some of that life, um, those life experiences. I had to learn more of those lessons myself and that I hadn't learned them enough in, you know, in lit initially after the, uh, after the accident that I had to, those, that to-do list that was a foundation for you know, the, the beginning of my book that I had to put those things into practice. And, and experience them and, and really live them before I could could write about them and and that's when it all that's when um when it it all finally came out. Well, Mary, well yeah, it's kind of like the old adage: take our own advice before we give it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think we I think uh, we all have to learn that at some point in our lives. We can. I'm I'm guilty of it myself of telling everybody do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, and then my wife will remind me. Did you do this? I have to stop and think about that for a second. No, I guess I didn't. I have to go back and do it myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I know Gandhi's famous for that. That um, you know he wouldn't give any advice if he um, if he didn't practice it himself. And there's the famous story that I love of where this mom brings her little boy and she waits for hours to see him, and she wants Gandhi to tell her little boy to stop eating sweets, and he tells he tells the lady he says you're going to have to come back in two weeks. And she's like, that's it. And he says, no, 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 just please come back in two weeks. So she leaves. She has to travel home a, a great distance. She comes back. She has to wait hours again to, to see him. And then she, she finally get in front of him and he, he looks at the boy and he says, you need to listen to your mother. You need to stop eating sweets. They're not good for you. And then he says, that's it. You know, you can go. And the lady's upset. And she says, what are you kidding me? I, I waited, I traveled all that time two weeks ago. I came back this time, I waited again, and that's all you have to say? And he said, two weeks ago, I was still eating sweets. So I had to give up sweets before I could tell your son to give up sweets. That's brilliant. That's a brilliant. And it, it's a brilliant story, but it really captures that, that you know, sometimes we, we don't take our own advice, or like you said, we can give it out. And, and you know, I think that was the problem with me, is that I was given out a lot of, oh yeah, do this or do this or whatever. And I wasn't living it. And it wasn't until I finally had gone through years of living, um, living in a better way that I could say, all right, now I'm, now I'm fit, if you will, to, mm -hmm. to share this. 
That works. I mean, it, it's now. Were you running your your coaching business at the same time? I know you said you earlier. You said you were in sales when you were sitting in the car. When yeah, was so the I didn't have my coaching business back then. I was still working in corporate. I started my corp. I, I left the you know the corporate world and the startups and everything in 2015, and that's when I launched oh. my coaching business. Okay. So I I had been doing that 2015 to 2020, and that's when it slowed down substantially to almost nothing uh, when the pandemic hit. Um, and so I didn't have I didn't have a, a corporate job or anything to fall back mm-hmm. on. You know, it's just it was just me. It was just me, um, and that's why it was uh, very stressful. So you were forced to reinvent yourself, but in reinventing yourself, you just relied on at least from what I understand, you kind of relied on what was deep inside you already and and allowed it to kind of emerge and come out. Yes. And, and I'd say, I'd say, Michael, that I, I didn't know that, that I didn't necessarily know that that was going to be the case. I, I, I knew that the story was in there and I said, okay, I'm going to write this book. That's what I'm going to start with. I'm going to start by writing this book because I know it, this needs to come out. It, it, it came out in 2020 because I had been given, you, know, you look at these blessings right. in disguise, like we talked about, I'd been given this gift of time that I, that was always my excuse mm-hmm. before is that I don't have the time to write a book. I'm too busy. I'm working. I'm family. I'm this, I'm that. But all of a sudden I had this the, the beautiful gift of time. So I had plenty of hours to spend each day, write every day and everything and, and go through it very methodically. Well, I had been feeling like I had that, the, the book kind of come to the back of my head a couple years earlier. Like I thinking, man, maybe I should write a book. Maybe I should write a book. And then in 2019, my father, um, who at the time was 96 and, uh, he was, he was doing pretty well, you know, for, for being 96 was pretty healthy and living on his own and, and uh, in a senior building, but, you know, was able to go to the grocery store and do things like that on his own. But he had a bad fall. Uh, he had a bad fall in, um, in 2019, in May of 2019. And when he fell, um, he had to go in the hospital and my, uh, in California and my sisters contacted me. And so I, I flew back right away because they said, you know, it's pretty bad. And when I got there to see him, um, I spent about a week just, you know, just with him there at his bedside in the hospital. And, and we had some great conversations and, and we had become pretty close in like the last probably 20, 20 years of his life. We'd become pretty close, much closer than we had been when he was younger, because like I said, he was, he was working and I was doing my own thing and, and we didn't spend a ton of time, but, uh, we had this great relationship and he had loved to read. I always remember he'd love to read when I was younger, he would read like a novel a week. And at that time when he was in the hospital, I told him that I said, Hey, I'm thinking of writing a book. And I told him the title and actually he corrected me on the title because I, I told him it was going to be titled 12 hours in heaven. And when I told him what it was going to be about, he said, well, it should be 12 hours of heaven, not in heaven, because they're technically not in heaven. And so I said, okay, okay, well, I'll call it of heaven. So he, you can owe him for making that correction in the title. But when I told him that I was thinking about writing a book in 2019, he got so excited and um, so excited that he actually pressed the call button so the nurse could come in and he could tell her because there was no one else there to tell and he wanted to tell someone. And so he, he told the nurse and he was just so, so excited. And it was so gratifying for me. And 
and you know, I think I probably maybe started crying without showing him at that point, but, um, but he went on to, to, you know, not really recover too well from, from that, that fall. And, and he passed away in July of 2019 and, and because I had promised him, I think that really pushed me in, in 2020, not just the pandemic, not just the time, not just everything, but I think it was everything coming together. Like we talked about earlier, Michael, I think it was just the, the, the lessons I had learned and, and the timing was right. And, and I had promised my father and, and all that came together to say, all right, now's the time to write your book. And, and when I, when I was writing, um, I, I started writing in the beginning of April. And I started writing very methodically, just 500 to 1,000 words a day, a few hours a day. And after a period of a couple months, I got in this deep spiritual connection with, with God. And I, I honestly felt as if the story was just being given to me and I was just typing and, and that I wasn't, you know, the words weren't coming from me. That's how I felt. And I, I really felt his presence with me or the presence of the Holy Spirit here. And, and it was it was very personal. It was kind of scary. Um, and it was just such a deep connection that, um, that my writing just, it flourished. I went to write and start writing over 2000 words in a couple hours at a time and, and ended up finishing the book, um, in under three months, the day before the anniversary of my father's death. And, you know, I don't know if he had a part in that, but, um, you know, when I was, when I started, the writing started flourishing, I was like, wow, it'd be really special if I could finish it by, you know, he, he passed away on July 25th. And I thought it'd be really special if I could finish it by then. And I wasn't close at that point, but it all came together and you know, I finished it on the 24th. Um, and that's so amazing. I, I ended up dedicating the book to him and everything. Yeah, that's amazing. I think he's with you now because I was going to ask you how you come up with a name and you answered it <laughs> while we were talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. And and the, the name is symbolic of, of what the book is about. So without giving too much away, I'll just share um, that it's a fictional story. Um, so as I said earlier, I, I really felt that it, you know an angel or guardian angel, if you will, had, had protected us at, at the time that we had our accident. And so the book is a fictional story about an angel who is sent down from heaven and he finds himself trapped in an elevator with 10 individuals um, overnight. And so they're trapped for 12 hours, which is where the title comes from, 12 hours of heaven. They're trapped with this and they don't know he's an angel, but they're, they're trapped in this elevator for 12 hours. And during that time, he's able to help them all with big, the biggest challenges they're having, they have in their lives. And they each learn something during their time with him. And the subtitle is lessons for a better world. And they learn things. Some of the things that I learned that I had written all those years ago, not exact, the exact list, but, but, you know, um, a lot, many of them, um, like practicing gratitude and, and being present and, and serving others. I mean, some of these things that I had learned that that's, those are the lessons that they learn in the story. That's amazing. That's a, a, an amazing title also. I think your father um, pointed you in the right direction because it entices, entices you a little bit. You want to know more about what the book is, is number one. You want to, uh, at least in my opinion, I think it, uh, it's, a, it's a good direction to go in. What a concept. It's a great concept, actually. Thank you. Thank you. And, and as I said, Michael, I mean, it, 
the story came to me just sitting there in my car, staring at that guardian angel pin. It, 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 it came to me that one day, like, like that, the, the, the story. And it wasn't, I, I, it, it was, it, it was so clear. Um, but yet, you know, probably all those, those intricacies of the story and those, those lessons, they just weren't ready. And that's why it, it took 20 years. Um, Sometimes. Even though the framework of the story would have been there 20, 20 years ago, um, it just took a while. Well, I, personally, I think that 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 perspective, even though it's time, it comes from personal experience and it comes from the heart and the soul. It it makes it better anyway. So you know, it's like um, what's that old? I can't remember these people's name. The old guys that used to do the the wine commercials where they said, you know, not I don't service until it's time. Oh yes, yeah. And if, forgive me for forgetting who they are. They're probably they're probably up there looking down at me going, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm trying to remember who they are too, but it was, yeah, we will serve no wine before it's before time. Before it's time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. same, same yeah, principle. Yeah, same thing. And, and I've often said that, you know, I needed, the, the story needed more marinating, you know, needed to marinate in there, or I, de, I did, you know, I needed to be molded, shaped. Because I, I, the way I look at it is that, that and, and I actually pray for this every day, just to be fully transparent, is, is that, you know, for God to mold and shape me into the person that he wants me to be. And that, you know, he's like chiseling away, you know, it's like, like a sculptor. He's just chiseling away and chiseling away and chiseling away. And it, and, it, and it's going to, you know, take my whole life, but maybe if, if he ever gets to some point, but it'll be a, a work in constant work in progress. But, um, but that I, I, I see it that way, you know, that it's just continually continuous evolution. Well, hopefully, you know, it'll continue so that it, you don't want it to stop because then when it stops, it's done. And when it's done, you know, from that perspective, you, you want to, you want to continue to spend time with your children and with your wife and with the people that you help in this world. Um, which kind of brings me to you, you, your business, your, your website. I, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> tell me about your website and tell me what, you do now to help other people move forward in a very positive way. <clears throat> well, thank you for asking, Michael, because um, that's really where my heart is right now. And, and my passion has been for the past um, just under two years. And the website is isparkchange.com. And where that comes from is sparking change is a theme that is woven through 12 hours of heaven. And the reason is because uh, when I was writing, during that period of spiritual connection and, and, and reflection that I was uh, going through in the time of writing 12 hours of heaven, I started having a flood of creative ideas and I would wake up at, at all hours of the night and have so many ideas and dreams and visions of creating more and doing more. And that I felt I was being called to, to not just write a book, but to do more than that. And, that's where the idea for I Spark Change was born, because in the book, the, the, these people are called to, to spark change. They're called to make the world a better place. And that's what I wanted to do. And the reason it's I Spark Change is because what, what I've realized is that to change the world, to make the world a better place, it starts with all of us. It starts with the individual. 
It starts with each of us making a conscious choice to make a difference and to realize that each of us does make a difference, that our actions are what we call um, in, in, in my, uh, on my website, spark moments. They're these spark moments that have ripple effects that spread far and wide. And once you realize that any action you do, hopefully the, they're positive, but any action, positive or negative, can and does have an impact on others and the world around you, it's, it's a very um, eye-opening and empowering place to be. And, and that's what we, um, that's what we talk about at iSpark Change. So iSpark Change has, has a couple components. Um, one, we provide motivation and inspirational content on social media. So we have a, a robust um, community on social media on Instagram and through our website, people can join the community and they'll get our newsletter. And they'll see people that are, are doing positive work in the world, people that are impacting and spreading positive change. And, and then also the, the social impact component. And those would be individuals or businesses that are kind of going above and beyond um, in, in some capacity to make the world better, where they're, they're sparking change for the masses, if you will. Um, you know, maybe hundreds of people or thousands of people or you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And those are people that we that we will spotlight and amplify on our social media. And and I, I've what I've done is I've taken my knowledge and my background as a coach and I've combined it with our community, iSpark Change, to really teach others how to be impactful in their work. And so now when I, when I coach and, and work with entrepreneurs, mainly, as you said, at the top of the show, um, it's in showing them how to have purpose and passion and, um, and uh, take care of people and have impact in their work. Um, and how in doing that, that makes the world a better place uh, for all of us. So we have the, you know, the, the, coaching and, and the business side to iSpark Change, and we have the motivation and the inspirational side. And all of this is just the precursor to what we are working on, which will be what iSpark Change evolves into, as I talked about the evolution for myself, but iSpark Change is evolving as we speak. And what iSpark Change will evolve into is, is the world's first social media platform that is one central hub, one community of people, organizations, individuals, groups, uh, businesses that are spreading positive change, that are doing positive work, a place where they can support one another, collaborate. Um, you can learn about these uh, individuals and entities that are all across the globe, because right now they're so fragmented. I mean, you can obviously search on Google and, and look in a certain area or geography or where you live or you know, a certain country or a certain topic, but to have one central place where you can find them all and, and you can be matched up, it's, uh, it just doesn't exist. And that's what we're, we're going to create with iSpark Change. Our, our goal is in the next five years to have that community up and running with a billion, um, a billion people on it, to connect and empower a billion people on that, in that community uh, within the next five years. That's an amazing goal, amazing goal. I, I know that on that website it says that you, you help those looking for clarity and guidance to eliminate the roadblocks of preventing their personal and professional success so that they can infuse instant growth into their business and life while spreading positive change around the world. That's a great mission statement. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And and it's 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 really it, it's really just Michael, it's really just me 
taking my knowledge and expertise, my background, the, the, what I've learned, my, my gifts, if you will, and using them to, to drive that purpose <laughs> of spreading positive change, of serving others, of, of loving and giving and serving uh, others. And, and the way I'm, I'm working on making the world a better place. You know, there's lots of people that do it in different ways. There's people that may do missionary work or clean water or, you know, feed people in, in starving countries. And, and this is, this is my way of doing it because um, it's the way that I know. It's the way that I know and the way that I'm, that I'm figuring out. And it's a brilliant, a brilliant uh, infusion of a positivity that needs to be put in because before we can, really spread positivity we have to experience it within ourselves i think and it's one of those deals where sometimes we're stuck and we can't look around and be grateful you know you a couple of things we said during the show that really stuck out with me is the fact that we all need to be grateful for where we are and what we have in our lives and you know use that to inspire our positivity because there are those that have lost so many things and and people in in their lives that uh, it's difficult sometimes to look and be grateful for what we have. Um, so it's a great place to start, at least I think so. Yeah, thank you. And, and I'm glad you brought up gratitude because that's near and dear to my heart. That's that's something that I had to to learn myself. And, and now it's part of you know, my my daily habits and rituals and everything in the morning and, and the night. And and it's so important to to just have that that attitude of gratitude, as they say, because it, it really changes your perspective and you really see those those blessings in every situation. You see that there's so much to be grateful for when, you know, at first glance, you may re- think that you're you know, in some struggling time and it's mm-hmm. really not the case for, for most people. Um, there, there's always something to be grateful for. And, and I mean, there's tons of research and studies and, and um, on the benefits of gratitude and that in itself, if that could, we could just, you know, everyone could learn to practice that across humanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have huge effects. Huge effects. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and it not, doesn't have to be something big. It could be something small. Yeah. Yeah. yeah something tiny. Something I mean, just that you woke up today, you know, that, that's I have a, a friend who used to say, <laughs> yeah, he used to say any day above ground is a good day for him. That's exactly. what he used to say. I agree with yeah. him. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, even a even a, a something as simple as getting a green light when you're in a hurry. So yeah, yeah, it's always, yeah, sure. always good. Um, I know that you're working on a second book, a follow up to the first one. Yes, yes, I, I'm working on um, the working title for it is uh, Twelve Hours of Heaven: Time on Earth." It's uh, it's essentially like a sequel uh, to to the first book. As I said, I, I've I've always seen the first one like a movie, and I, and I am right. that that is one of my goals is to have Towards the Heaven uh, Lessons for a Better World made into a movie. Um, but so if anyone out there is watching and they're you know a movie producer, they can <laughs> they can contact me. But but the um, yeah, so it is a it's a sequel that I'm I'm working on now. Now I, I have I will say it has been challenging because I don't have that all day pandemic quarantine time that I had a couple of years ago. So it's a much slower process than it, you know, it's already been months that I've been working on it. Um, but I'll, you know, I'll get it done. That's always, well, we're looking forward to it, I think. And the, the, um, the first book, 
Um, I'll definitely, when we get done here, I, I will talk a little bit more about that um, because I may have somebody that I can link you up with. But again, I don't want to put that well, out there too much, you. but we'll talk. Um, <clears throat> we will talk. We will talk. Well, let's talk about how we can um, get a hold of you if somebody's interested in being part of iSpark Change and, and or um, getting in more involved with helping you to spread this message. Uh, please talk about that and uh, help uh, us find you. Well, thank you for asking, first off, Michael, um, because to get to a billion is not going to happen with me doing all this work on my own. It's going to happen with you know, folks like yourself sharing what iSpark Change is all about and, and people that are watching, learning about iSpark Change and, and wanting to join the community. So if they go to um, the letter isparkchange.com, they can join the community. By joining, you're just making a commitment to spreading positive change. That's it. It doesn't cost anything. You, um, We don't spam you or anything. You Right now, you get a monthly newsletter. Um, comes out at the beginning of, this, of each month, which shares some people that are spreading positive change, some examples of, of um, different individuals and, and organizations and some stories of positive change and, and very simple. And then they can connect with us on social media. So we have a very active Instagram. That's where we're the most active. Uh, we have a big community on Instagram and that's the letter I, I underscore spark underscore change. They can find it easily by searching I spark change. We have a Facebook group. Uh, Twitter, TikTok, you can find us on all the platforms, iSparkChange, but they can join the community at the website and then um, they can follow us on Instagram for that daily inspirational, motivational uh, content, um, some positivity on a regular basis that so many people are craving for, like you said. And we welcome anyone into the community. And if any any of your, your listeners or viewers, if they join the community um, at iSparkChange, they'll receive a 25 um, transformational uh, ways to a better you. So they'll receive a free download on 25 transformational ways to become a better, you know, better person. And, and these are simple, easy things that anyone can do and they will spread positivity for yourself and for others. Free is always positive. And, uh, yeah, free is always free, good. Yes. Free to help improve positivity is even better. See? Yes. Well, uh, Ricky, this is one more thing before you go. So one more thing before we go. Do you have any words of wisdom you'd like to share with uh, our audience? Yes, I've been thinking about this, Michael, because my one more thing is something that I think is very important for people to know and have an understanding of. And it's something that it took me a while to come to an understanding. And I kind of alluded to it earlier, but it's that everyone makes a difference and that every single person that's listening and every single person on this planet can make the world a better place with their actions. If it just starts with their individual actions, just making the commitment to, to believe that you have an impact. And I'm not saying that it, you have to go out and, and start being mother Teresa or Gandhi or anything. All I'm saying is that, smile at someone when you pass them in the street let a car go go by that's waiting in traffic you know return someone's car to the grocery store like all these tiny little things say thank you say please all these tiny little things they make a difference they have an impact on others that we may never see you may not see the impact that person leaves and they go about their day and they're they're in a much better place than they were but you never know that you might be 
that smile may come at a time when it is the lowest point in their day or in their life even. And, and I've, in the past year and a half, I've heard story upon story upon story of these simple things like this that have people have found out have had a huge impact, you know, not just for me, but others have shared these stories that like life-changing, transformational, life transformational impacts for one tiny act that you would never even think. And it changes the trajectory of someone's life. And so I would just empower everyone that's listening to, to know that they have the power to change life. They have the power to make the world a better place. Brilliant words of wisdom. I really appreciate that. Rick, thank you very much for sharing your journey with us and uh, where you're at and what you do for the world. I, I think you bring uh, to us the opportunity to be better us, to be better as an individual, better as a human, better as a society in, uh, in helping others to move forward in a very positive way. So thank you. Well, it, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, um, Michael, on One More Thing Before You Go. And, and it's, it's been an honor and a pleasure to you know, have a great discussion with you. Same here. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. That's BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.